evidence and answers. What causes the collapse of a civilization? And then on the other hand, what allows a rise in growth of a nation? Join us now as we tackle an in-depth study on this very subject. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. Today, we are listening to another one of the exciting messages taken from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around the nation. Our theme was, Can We Be Good Without God?, and featured noted Christian scholars, Dr. Richard Land and Kirby Anderson. Dr. Pat Zucharin presented a fabulous study entitled, The Rise and Fall of Nations. Without delay, let's listen to part one, as Pat provides us with a biblical insight on this very topic. History shows us that nations rise and nations eventually fall. It's in the DNA of all that man creates that empires rise and eventually empires fall. In his book, The End of Christendom, Malcolm Muggeridge makes this powerful observation. He says, I conclude that civilizations like every other human creation wax and wane. By the nature of the case, there can never be a lasting civilization any more than there can be a lasting spring or lasting happiness in an individual life or a lasting stability in a society. It's in the nature of man and all that he constructs to perish, and it must ever be so. The world is full of the debris of past civilizations and others are known to have existed which have not left any debris behind them but have just disappeared. History also teaches us that nations fall not because they are conquered by a foreign power but they commit their own suicide. History has also shown us that the average age of the great civilizations is around 200 years and countries like Great Britain exceed that average while other countries like the United States have reached that critical age. Historians often attribute the collapse of a nation to economic, political, or social factors. But ultimately, the problem is spiritual. And as we look around our country today, it doesn't take long to realize we are at a critical crossroads here. Are we the generation that will witness the decline and eventual demise of the United States? Romans 1 verses 18 through 32 outline the stages of a civilization or a culture's decline and eventual demise. Now the theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And Romans chapter 1 speaks of God's righteousness revealed in his judgment on mankind. And verses 18 through 32 present not only the consequences of the original turning away from God, but as New Testament scholar Douglas Moo in his great commentary on Romans states, this foolish turning away from God and the reaping the consequences is repeated in every generation by every individual and by every culture. Therefore, verses 18 through 32 explain the stages of decline that lead to the inevitable downfall of cultures and civilizations. And it all begins first with the rejection of God. Verses 18 through 21 state this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So the knowledge of God, His self-revelation has been 
made plain to all men, as Paul states in verse 19. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Paul says that the character and the existence of God is clearly seen in the created order. Creation, every day, points to a creator. You cannot study the world around you and not conclude there is an intelligent creator. From microbiology to astronomy, the signs of an intelligent creator of order and design are everywhere around us. So from the microscope to the telescope, there is evidence of an intelligent designer. And from the things that he has created, we can learn things about the character of this creator. Now verse 21, Paul states this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now the word here, know, although they knew God, the word knew here or know does not mean that man has a personal relationship with God, but that they are aware of the evidence for God and that God exists. But they willfully turned away from God. And as a result, Paul says, in their thinking, they became futile and their hearts were darkened. Futile here means to become vain, destitute of real wisdom, to be or act perversely or foolishly. Darkened here means unable to understand. Now, this does not mean that unsaved man cannot know any truth or truth about God or spiritual truth. It means their ability to think accurately about God has been damaged and their view of reality and the world around them has become twisted. So the results of turning from God is that our views of spirituality, morality, and reality have become twisted. If God is the source of truth, if truth originates with God, then when you turn away from the origin of truth, then your view of the world around you becomes twisted and perverted. That's what Paul is describing here. The beginning of a decline and self-destruction of a culture or civilization begins with the rejection of God. Now, a belief in a God or a creator is necessary for any civilization to continue to prosper and be free. Sociologist Os Guinness talks about freedom's triangle. In order for any civilization, especially the United States, one like the United States, to be free and a prosperous and healthy nation, you need freedom's triangle. What do I mean by freedom's triangle? Well, the first corner of the triangle is this. In order for a democracy to thrive, it must consist of good moral people who can govern themselves. Now, in order to have a moral people, you must have the second corner of that triangle. You must have a universal moral law by which we all agree upon and abide by. But you cannot have a universal moral law without a moral lawgiver or God. So God is at the top of that triangle. You need a moral lawgiver, a God who gives us a moral law. That universal moral law is the moral law which we all abide by, which makes for a good, virtuous, and self-governing people. That's freedom's triangle. You need all three parts to make that triangle. Now, at the top of that triangle, 
is the moral lawgiver or God. Remove God from that triangle and freedom collapses and eventually you return to bondage or tyranny. So the belief in God is absolutely essential for any culture or civilization to be free and prosper. The founding fathers of the United States understood this principle and our founding fathers gave us that warning throughout their speeches and their writings. George Washington, the first president of the United States, in his farewell address in 1796, stated this, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. President John Adams repeated President Washington's warning to us, and he stated this. In a speech he made in 1798, he stated, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a will goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, John Adams was saying that our democracy will only work with a good, virtuous, and moral people. And you can't have a good, virtuous people without a universal moral law. And you can't have a universal moral law without a moral lawgiver or a God. Now, the warning given to us by our founding fathers have been echoed by presidents from our founding fathers until the modern presidents of our time. President Eisenhower stated this, Without God, there could be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the Supreme Being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Thus, the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be so. President Ronald Reagan, in 1984 at the Dallas Prayer Breakfast, at the Dallas Prayer Breakfast, stated this. He said, without God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscious. Without God, we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there's a coarsening of the society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. We see this throughout the course of history, including that of the Bible. For example, in the book of Judges, whenever the nation of Israel turned away from God, from the worship of the true and living God, they eventually fell into idolatry and immorality, and eventually their nation crumbled and fell into bondage to a foreign power. And the book of Judges ends with this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it ends with that haunting verse, a society that has collapsed into chaos and eventually falls into bondage. More than ever then, in our post-Christian culture today, 
we must be able to present a case for the existence of God and a God-given universal moral law. See, we're fighting important battles right now. Abortion, the redefining of marriage, the downturn of education. But those are the skirmishes. The real battle is that of worldview, the Christian worldview and the various worldviews that are arrayed against it. See, it's impossible to win the abortion debate without proving that God exists and that He has established a universal moral law, the value of all life by which we must abide. It's impossible to win the gay marriage debate without demonstrating there is a God who has established the covenant of marriage and it's a universal law which all cultures must abide by. You see, it's very difficult to win the battle if you quote the Bible in front of our legislatures who don't believe in the existence of God or a universal moral law or the Word of God. If you quote the Bible to them and say, I object to the redefining of marriage or to abortion, they'll simply look at you and say, well, no God, no Word of God. This is not a very convincing argument here. That's why for this reason, Christians more than ever in a post-Christian culture need to have the skill to be able to articulate compelling reasons for the existence of God and that he has established a universal moral law. It's absolutely critical in engaging and winning the war of ideas in our culture today. Now, that's why establishing the Christian worldview or the theistic worldview is so critical. You see, if you want to change behavior, then you need to change a person's values. If you want to change a person's values, then you need to change their beliefs. And if you want to change their beliefs, then you're going to have to change their worldview. That's why that is really where the battle is at. The Christian worldview and the worldviews that are arrayed against it. That is where the crux of the battle is. If you can return a nation or a culture back to a belief in a God and a universal moral law, then you've got a chance to change their beliefs, their values, and eventually their behavior. So the decline of a civilization or culture begins with a turning away from God. Now when a society rejects God, who is the source of truth, when they reject the source of truth, then it looks for answers and quickly embraces false ideologies and religion. That's the second stage of a decline of a civilization. Paul writes, in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, the Greek word for fool there is moreno. Sound familiar? That's where the word moron comes from. So, claiming to be wise, we became morons. Now, the word moreno there means to make dull to cause something to lose its taste or the purpose for which it exists. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything anymore. So as a result of rejecting God, a civilization will embrace false ideologies. Paul names here idolatry, false religion, and false ideas. Now, idolatry is the pudding some aspect of God's creation, whether it be an animal, a human, or a material object, in place of God, that is the essence of idolatry. And Paul records the foolishness of people who have been given the opportunity to enjoy the glory of the immortal God. Instead, people choose to worship 
mortal idols that cannot fulfill their deepest longings or bring meaning to their lives or any kind of everlasting hope. And you look at our culture today. We have turned away from God and we are embracing a host of false ideologies. Here are some of the ideologies that dominate our culture today. Atheistic Darwinism, which teaches us that we can have creation without a creator. Darwinism teaches that the origin and diversity of life are the products of natural causes and chance. Therefore, creation does not need a creator. We are the products of just natural forces and chance. So if God does not exist then, we get to the next false ideology that dominates our culture, relativism of truth. If truth is not anchored in a God, then truth originates with man. Man is the source of truth. Therefore, each individual creates their own version of truth. You see, man is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He cannot perceive all things perfectly. But if there is no God in which truth is centered, the origin of truth comes from man. And each person then creates their own truth. Truth cannot be absolute. Truth becomes relative. Now, if truth is relative, it leads to the third ideology that dominates our culture today, moral relativism. All lifestyles and behaviors are equally valid and true. You often hear the term, don't push your morality on me. Well, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, if we each invent our truth, then morality becomes relative as well. And that leads to a fourth ideology that dominates our culture today, the new tolerance. Traditional tolerance teaches that we can disagree on beliefs and behaviors. However, I will do all I can to persuade you and convince you of my position because I think your position is wrong. However, the new tolerance is a very dangerous tolerance. It teaches that all beliefs, lifestyles, and values are equally valid and true. And it is wrong to think that one person's values or beliefs are right and another one is wrong. That is being intolerant. That's the worst thing you can be in our culture today. That is the new tolerance. It's a very dangerous ideology that our culture has embraced. There's an old saying, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. And we see the results of this new tolerance has wreaked havoc throughout Europe. British Prime Minister David Cameron in 2011, in one of his earliest speeches, he said this was one of the most important speeches he has ever made. He stated that the new tolerance has failed Europe miserably. He stated in his speech, the decades of old British policy of multiculturalism, the belief that all cultures, values, and lifestyles are valid and true and should be tolerated has failed miserably. And now England and other European nations have become one of the largest breeding grounds of radical Islam. The policy has allowed Islamic militants leeway to radicalize young Muslims, some of whom went on to the next level by becoming terrorists, and that Europe could not defeat terrorism simply by the actions we take outside our borders, with military actions like the war in Afghanistan. Europe needs to wake up to what is happening in our own countries, he said. We have to get to the root of the problem. 
It wasn't long after that the Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, and Sarkozy, the Prime Minister of France, echoed the warnings of David Cameron. And we look in the news today and what has happened in recent times, and we see that David Cameron's warning has indeed come to pass. And the warning of our European friends, they are shouting to us across the Atlantic, giving us a warning, don't follow in our footsteps. Yet, unfortunately, we Americans are following in the footsteps of our European friends there. What's even more disturbing is this. Surveys by sociologists like George Barna and other research groups show that these false ideas are embraced by the majority of those in the church today. Therefore, it is all the more important what we're seeing. We're seeing the culture transform the church instead of the church transforming the culture as Jesus commanded us to be salt and light. Instead, we see the culture transforming the church. In our post-Christian culture today, it's important more than ever that Christians not only be able to proclaim and communicate the truth, but also be able to defend and engage the false ideas of the culture today with integrity and intelligence and the truth of God's Word, to be able to show where these ideas are false and why our position is indeed right and true and makes for a strong and healthy culture and society. Now, the rejection of God leads to the embracing of false and dangerous ideas, which inevitably leads to a rise in immoral behavior, where sinful behavior is now promoted as the norm. In verses 24 through 27, Paul writes this, As a result of embracing these false ideologies and turning away from God, Paul says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So the rejection of God leads to the embracing of false ideas and then to immorality. It says here that God gave them over to their sinful passions, or God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Now the verb gave over there, it's used in the Old Testament when God hands over Israel to her enemies so that they may be defeated by them. God permits disobedient men and women to continue in and indeed to plunge more deeply into the sin which they have already chosen. So the picture that Paul is painting is this. There is an individual being swept down by a powerful current there in the stream and God is there holding on to the person's hand to rescue them from the dangerous pull of that river that's pulling them downstream. However, they want to get pulled downstream and are pleading to go downstream. So eventually, God lets go their hand and allows that person to be swept down by the current which he or she has chosen to go. That is the picture that Paul is painting there. God gives them over 
because they embraced a lie, a false ideology, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And here Paul gives us the meaning of idolatry, the putting of some aspect of God's creation, whether it be an animal, a human, or a material object, in place of God. That is the essence of idolatry. And this leads to immoral behavior. And the sin of homosexuality is highlighted here. Paul says that women exchange natural relations, describing a reversal in sexual practice. We've run out of time today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed part one of Pat's study on the rise and fall of nations. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button side of our homepage. Join us here next time for part two of this exciting study with Dr. Pat Zucran. <laughs> 